The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello, world of internet. This is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training um, and the Fitness Reborn podcast. And my guest today is Dr. Matt Archer. He's a chiropractic doctor and the author of The Protocol for Health, Seven Unexpected Solutions. And I believe that's, is that your, still your, is that your first book so yeah. far? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, okay. So, you know, the title alone was provocative to me and I was kind of interested by that. And uh, here, Dr. Archer is going to join us and, um, and explain what all his book about and his protocols is and what we can maybe do to maximize or fix our own health. So Dr. Archer, thanks for coming on. You bet. Thank you, Sean. Uh, yeah. So, all right. So we have the seven protocols or the seven unexpected solutions as part of your protocol for health here. So obviously that's just a pretty broad topic we're talking here because we're encompassing a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, and just by what I've read and what I've seen on your website already, um, you've kind of, you spread your wings pretty wide there. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say, well, what, what's the foundation for something like this? We already know, uh, made note that you're our chiropractor by trade or by profession. So, but you really expanded into multiple areas with this. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm a second generation chiropractor. My, my mom started practicing chiropractic and specifically a technique called applied kinesiology. Uh, when I was in junior high. And so applied kinesiology is one of the more established methods of manual muscle testing to try to, try to get answers around uh, nutritional issues and structural issues. And that system really incorporates a lot of, you know, aspects of traditional Chinese medicine and cranial sacral therapy and a whole bunch of different stuff. And so she helped me over the years with that approach. And so growing up, I, you know, there were times where I had back pain or where I had digestive problems or different issues that she clearly helped me with. Um, at some point in the late nineties, I had kind of an aha moment where it was like, Oh, it's time to be a chiropractor. I want to do that too. And, um, so I, you know, went through the, the process, went, uh, you know, the prereqs and all that and, and went to school. And while I was in school, I started studying with the International College of Applied Kinesiology. And early on, I put my hand up and I said, you know, this muscle testing, it just doesn't seem clear enough to me. You know, I, there was a lot of complicated rigmarole and backing up and rechecking and, and I, my feeling was like, let's establish a clear foundation for muscle testing first. Like, what if we could see the difference of strong versus weak with any muscle before we started trying to get answers about, you know, nutritional stuff or all these other components to try to help people. And, uh, the, the doctor who was teaching that course, <laughs> he didn't really like me very much, but, um, he did give me some interesting answers and, um, it took some years to put together based on some of the things that 
you know, he, he suggested, well, there's some people say that everyone weakens to this reflex point in between the eyebrows, but there's a bunch of things that interfere with it. And you might try and figure out what those things are. And I was like, okay, well, that's as good a place to start as any. And so by several years later, it was clear to me that there's eight factors that interfere with that reflex point. And you can address those factors, at least in a temporary manner, uh, within about five minutes of, you know, laying somebody down on the table and checking a few different things and using a couple supplements in the mouth to uh, affect sense of taste and neurology. Um, so you can work around these, these few base components. And once you do that, you can see strong versus weak with any good, healthy, strong muscle with any person who's, um, you know, a kind of, uh, I don't know, normal functions. Um, I mean, up to the degree of I've had power lifters on my table where I can put all my weight on a straight leg that's turned out at an angle to test the psoas muscle and then have them touch this point. And I'll literally put one finger on that leg and I'll say, okay, you push first. Are you pushing? And then with one finger, I can push that same leg, that same leg to the table. So it's not subtle. It's, um, and it's, it's definitely different than what's taught in applied kinesiology in general. Um, that, but, you know, when I've demonstrated this to teachers of applied kinesiology, they say, oh, wait, that's different. I don't think you want to do that. And I say, well, uh, I think I really do, because what I see is that we stop chasing uh, peripheral issues and we really zero in on super important positive issues that actually make a lot of sense. Um, and rather than an endless string of supplements and new therapies and the person has to just keep coming back forever, often over the course of six or eight weeks, we can put together all the pieces show a person how to keep it that way and get phenomenal lasting results with just about any condition you can come up with. Um, whether it's, well, I mean, there's like, I don't have a solution for cancer, you know, like once cancer is established, I don't have a way of treating it, but back pain, migraines, allergies, digestive issues, um, hormone issues, autoimmunity, um, it, you know, these are things that really aren't considered part of what chiropractors treat. And, and so, you know, I can't necessarily call it a treatment specifically for those issues, but we're addressing foundational components of health, uh, such that people can heal. And so, you know, what does it take to really have good absorption of your nutrients? What does it take, um, to really eliminate waste product? What does it take to significantly reduce inflammation? Not just a little bit, but profoundly, you know, and when you've established those three conditions, well, then what wouldn't heal? What wouldn't get better? Better absorption, better elimination, less inflammation. Uh, everything has to improve, but it's not subtle how it occurs. You know, it's like, I mean, I've, I'll have people with issues that they've been dealing with for 40 or 50 years. And they're like, no, no, I'm just here for these other things, doc. There's no way we're going to fix that. I've had it for 50 years. And I'm like, well, we always manage 
to make those things way better or eliminate them. So why don't mm -hmm. we just try? And I, I pretty much just have to put it to everybody. I'm like, look, just stick with this for eight weeks, follow up with me. Um, you know, we do about six visits over the course of eight weeks. And um, I basically get to guarantee people uh, results by eight weeks. It usually comes sooner than that. But um, some people who drag their heels around getting all of the offending foods out of their diet or things like that, maybe it takes a little longer. But um, anyway, it's the whole system works mm -hmm. really consistently for damn near everything. And I think that's unprecedented in healthcare. I mean, I just, I don't know where else people get those kind of results. And so it's kind of fantastic to just be, you know, working in my little office with my hands and foods and supplements, nothing really fancy, but mm -hmm. you know, I get people who've been to the Mayo clinic and all kinds of crazy stuff and didn't get anywhere. And then five to eight weeks later, they're saying, Oh my God, I can't believe it was this simple because I've tried everything. Right. So since you mentioned uh, kinesiology, obviously, you know, as someone who trains people, kinesiology is something I didn't study it formally in college, but since I became a personal trainer, it was something I really kind of got more and more interested in for obvious reasons. Um, now you mentioned that in the kinesiology course that they were just kind of like giving you know, surface level answers or just kind of teaching people to, you know, deal with um, problems that are apparent, but not really digging any further than that. Um, do you think that's kind of descriptive of the field of kinesiology in general? Or do you think that's just kind of like this, this is kind of where you, or no, you weren't, you weren't, uh, you were in a chiropractor school, right? Well, let me, was it? Let me hold on for just one second, because it's important right. to distinguish that applied kinesiology is this specific technique of manual muscle testing that's about trying to get nutritional information and other information oh. through the nervous system. So okay. it's it's super controversial. You know, if you look it up on, um, you know, Wikipedia or something, I mean, like I look at it, I'm like, oh, geez, maybe we can't do what I think we can do. But um, you know, then I go back to my office and see the results. I'm like, okay, well, what I'm doing, it truly isn't applied kinesiology. And I took a skeptical approach to applied kinesiology. So the study of kinesiology, something that's taught at all sorts of colleges, that's definitely a different field. And that's, you know, study of movement and mechanics and, um, right. a different field, but applied kinesiology is yeah. People tasting foods or touching reflex points on the body and no one's been able to prove that to be accurate or reproducible. And I think I know why. And I think I've put the pieces together that could absolutely change um, the kind of studies that you could create around that system. So if you don't mind me asking, why do you think it, why do you think it's not very uh, effective or very credible? Well, I think the, the problem of not, first establishing a clear baseline of seeing strong versus weak before you start trying to get answers about all these other things. I think that's where a lot of it lies. Um, I've talked with the people in that field who are the most published in terms of trying to prove reproducibility or accuracy in the testing. And they say, well, we can't do it. Can't prove that it's accurate or reproducible. And they also point out that they're not testing simple muscle strength 
they're testing the speed at which a muscle can adapt to a change in force, which means it's really about timing. And so there's, there's a lot of subtlety in that kind of timing. If I, you know, if I jump the gun a little bit and I'm pushing first, well, then it's kind of like arm wrestling and you might appear weak when you're not actually weak. Um, I don't, I know there's lots of people who use applied kinesiology who get great results and have a great reputation. And there's lots of people who have, you know, been patients of that system or even do self-testing and things like that where they get useful information. But what I do is different. Um, the muscle testing is slower and harder. You know, it really requires a person to push hard, but I'm making sure they're pushing first before I significantly increase pressure. So I take that timing out of it. And so once you've, once you've got the timing out of it, once you've got that clear baseline, uh, the answers you get are, are pretty different. And the things that you zero in on are really different. And with that, particularly when I, you know, when I had to sit down and write my book, um, of, of course I had to do more research on things that I had been doing for, for years. And in the course of that, I realized that in several places, I have zeroed in on some phenomenal blind spots in modern healthcare, both mainstream and alternative. Um, and it's zeroing in on those blind spots that absolutely unlocks the, the results that we get. Why do you think they're blind spots? Well, um, okay. So let's see, where's the best place to start here? So eh, the, the simplest example of that is, um, testing for negative reactions to foods. Um, so there was a point at which that was a lot of what I was doing was particularly testing people to corn and soy and dairy and wheat. And if we could see that tasting those foods clearly changed muscle strength or interfered with this reflex pattern, then it was easy for me to say, well, this this food is clearly affecting you. It's clearly affecting the nervous system. So I'm going to suggest that you try taking it out for a few weeks and see what you notice. And with this technique, there's actually patterns that, um, that can be identified that are caused by certain reactions to foods like corn will specifically cause a person to, uh, a strong muscle will weaken when a person closes their right eye and the supraspinatus muscle of the rotator cuff will be weak and people will weaken if they touch the first cervical vertebra or the atlas that some chiropractors only adjust that segment or, uh, L5 also. So anyway, it's, it's easy for me to see to not only to test someone directly to a food by having them taste it, but also a person may come in and I start testing them and I say, Oh, you're showing a pattern that tells me you've had corn somewhere in the last four or five days. And so sometimes they're like, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you I had corn chips last night or whatever it was. Or sometimes they're like, no, no, I, I have had no corn. I know I haven't had any. And it took a while to realize that like the amount of corn that's in almost all toothpaste is enough to trigger that pattern. And so 
helping people find toothpaste that doesn't have corn in it uh, is sometimes part of what we do. Okay, so back to your question. Um, so with that approach, it's easy for me to identify if a person is reacting to a food or not. And if they react, if we can confirm that they're reacting to it and they take that food out of their diet for a couple weeks or a couple months, maybe, and then run what is considered the medical gold standard of food allergy testing or food sensitivity testing, which is a food challenge, which means don't eat the food for a period of time and then eat a significant amount of it while under medical supervision and then see how sick you get. And that's, that's the gold standard for medical food allergy testing, which tells you that none of the other tests are anywhere near as good. And in fact, when you look into all the different tests, like genetic testing and pinprick and scratch and IgG food sensitivity and all that kind of stuff, none of it has been proven to be accurate or reproducible. And what I get to see is that um, the results that I get certainly don't line up with the, the, you know, the laboratory tests that people bring in. And yet when people follow my recommendations and try taking that food out, always beyond a shadow of a doubt, if the person will run that experiment, they can confirm the accuracy of the answers that we got. So it's one of those things where, okay, how are you, how can you prove that other than with a food challenge? You don't have laboratory tests to fall back on, but over and over and over with my patients, we get to see that those specific reactions to foods are way more common than I think anybody realizes. And they cause way more symptoms than people realize. And so if there was a good way to do that with laboratory testing, that would be great. And it would be accessible to a whole lot more people. Uh, so I think that is a major, major blind spot in modern medicine that we don't have, you know, like it's incredible that we can map out like all these incredible pathways of enzymes and all these different amazing uh, things within the body. But, you know, like just to develop a laboratory test to tell someone with accuracy, do they react to gluten or not? They can't do it. You know, there's, there's tests that sometimes point people in the right direction and it's great when they do, but they often supply a bunch of false positives and false negatives in there as well. Um, so it, it's not that there's no value to those tests. Obviously, sometimes people get pointed in the right direction, but the consistency isn't, isn't there. So that's, okay. I think that's one of the biggest blind spots in healthcare. Okay. So we just don't have a reproducible methodology to really, um, be able to zero in on where the problem lies. Yeah. That's like something as simple as what should I eat and what shouldn't I eat? You know, like mm -hmm. what it, it's almost like what could be more foundational than that, you know? Right. Right. And cool. so to me, that's where it's like, once I see that, I'm like, well, okay, if they can develop an accurate laboratory test, that'd be great. But until then, if I can do what I claim mm -hmm. that I can do, and I'm pretty damn confident that that's what we're doing, um, then you start to consider like, well, what could be more powerful than accurate information through our own nervous system? Right? Like, 
Right. Your body should have the answers. Your reactivity, if we can interpret that in a in a clear, accurate manner, um, yeah, it's super powerful. Right. I think it seems like, on to a certain degree, that's kind of systemic among healthcare itself, though, because a lot of times when people come, when people, especially if they come to an emergency room and they came, they complained of an illness, but now they're there and that and those symptoms have subsided, at least to a a large enough degree where they're not in such uh, pain or agony as they were maybe an hour ago when they said, man, I got to go to the ER, I'm miserable. Yeah. And now they're there and they're, and they're stable. And so the ER doctor is just kind of being told a story about what happened yeah. and didn't, didn't don't, doesn't have a clue um, beyond just what, you know, the doctor is being told and now has to rely on laboratory tests, which may or may not be reflective of what was going on an hour ago. I mean, it's kind of sure. like, well, well, hell, what do you do at that point? Yeah. Well, and it's and it's like, I mean, even worse than that is the, is the person with ongoing symptoms, clearly right. like they're wrecked, they can't sleep, they've got bad digestion, they've got aches and pains and arthritis and all this stuff, and they run, you know, uh, a bunch of tests. Sometimes if, you know, if it's through a alternative health, you might spend thousands of dollars on all these alternative tests. And they either come back with, well, eh, sorry, there's nothing wrong with you or a bunch of way far out. And like, you got to take this really strange, specific supplement and you need this neurotransmitter precursor. And, you know, it's like, those aren't causative issues. That's not getting the cause of it. Like, why can't you make that neurotransmitter? Why, why is there inflammation in the body? Um, so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's those are those blind spots. Um, another another critical issue that that's it's phenomenal how quickly you can change symptoms is if you can truly get people to absorb nutrients, you don't see subtle changes over a long period of time. You see dramatic changes in the short term and and lasting results. So, um, it, you know, like calcium supplements. Okay. So like no study has proven that calcium supplements accomplish the things that we take it for, you know, like it, they don't re reduce risk of fractures. Uh, Harvard school of public health has come out and said, well, there's no way a person can absorb a thousand milligrams of calcium on a daily basis, but we give them way too much in the hope that they absorb some of it and it goes to the right place. But consistently it doesn't. And again, the laboratory tests, you go in, you get a blood test and they say, oh yeah, you've got plenty of calcium in your blood. We just don't know why your bones are disappearing. And that would be an incredible blind spot. B12 supplements, people are, you know, literally like established technique is to take it sublingually, try and absorb it under your tongue as if this is where we're supposed to absorb. Obviously it's mm -hmm. the gut where we should be absorbing. But yeah. <laughs> who's addressing that? Well, it, you know, more or less. Well, I think, but well, I, I think there's, I think there's a few outliers out there that actually are talking more about that. I mean, well, absolutely, people are talking you're, about you're, it, right? You're, yourself included. Um, sure. But as far as far as you know, what you're saying is, I like, it's not mainstream practice to actually talk about these things. Um, I think you're probably correct about that. And there's all kinds of other you know, 
there's politics involved in that, and we don't need to go into any of that. But um, you're you're right. Um, it's really hard. It's really kind of hard to really kind of to nail down for sure about what what really is going on here. And there's all kind and the blind spots are great. And it's kind of like, well, well, how do you really overcome that? I know, I know how to overcome that. It's weak. Okay. Stu- it's, okay. It's weak stomach acid. <laughs> you know, it's you absolutely go. about weak stomach acid. So there's lots of people in alternative health are using betaine hydrochloride or HCL, you know, essentially stomach acid in a pill uh, to, to boost people's digestion. And that's a good step in the right direction. But why can't we make our stomach acid in the first place? Well, um, of these seven pieces of the protocol, the kind of the first and most important is the process of strengthening stomach acid and clearing chronic intestinal infection or dysbiosis is what most people would call it. So when you strengthen stomach acid, well, okay, why do you strengthen stomach acid? So some studies came out some years ago that showed that when you increase atmospheric CO2, you decrease the ability of plants to uptake zinc and a variety of other minerals. So we're not getting as much zinc as we did before industrialization. And there's other things that interfere with it as well, but we need zinc to make stomach acid. So, and and we, we can't store zinc in the body and the amount of it that's supposed to be in the body, well, for one thing, the big organizations that say, this is how much zinc you should have. And this is how many people are deficient. The numbers are, you know, way, way, you know, they're, they're spread across the board. It's like, nobody really knows is, is really what it comes down to because you'd have to find some healthy, normal population. But if everybody's, you know, if, if the whole world has increased CO2, then, uh, none of our plants or, meats have as much zinc in them as they did before industrialization. So I think that because of that, uh, we lose our ability to make stomach acid. So what I see is that strong stomach acid is absolutely what makes the difference between whether you can barely absorb a supplement or whether you can truly absorb and not just absorb, but get it into the tissues where it's needed. So there's symptoms that are caused, you know, some of the symptoms caused by calcium deficiency, um, chronic fatigue, you know, every muscle contraction in our body requires calcium. So if, if we don't have enough calcium, uh, in the, in the body to, to accomplish muscle contraction, then, then we pull it out of our bones so that we can keep contracting our muscles. Um, plantar fasciitis is absolutely driven by calcium deficiency. And the reason I know that is that we consistently clear it up in a week or less once we can strengthen a person's stomach acid and get them to actually absorb a good quality calcium. Um, so, uh, so the ability to zero in on that and, um, the consistency with which we clear it leaves me uh, knowing that 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 stomach acid is the key. And so, but the problem is, is if everyone's deficient in zinc and zinc deficiency creates weak stomach acid, which creates poor absorption of all your nutrients, including zinc, 
then if you just try to take a, a zinc supplement or a calcium supplement, you won't really absorb it. So taking zinc with betaine hydrochloride, with HCl, is how you boost the stomach acid to a degree where you actually start to absorb the zinc to such a degree that you start to make your own stomach acid more effectively and you can take less of the HCl supplement. So um, I, I, don't, I don't know if other people are doing that, but it works really, really well. And it's, it's a big part of my book. Um, so I see that as key to calcium and B12 and iron and magnesium and potassium. And again, I, I see people who've had, you know, anemia for 40 years or 50 years and been to everybody and nothing worked and their numbers are terrible. And in a few weeks, uh, their energy's way up, their blood work is totally turned around and their MDs are going, what the hell happened here? And, mm -hmm. um, that's what happens when you strengthen stomach acid. So again, in terms of a blind spot, you're like, okay, look up studies on strengthening stomach acid. Well, very few have been done. And, and the, the way in which the studies were done, it's often about studying, um, stomach acid while people are fasting. Well, it's like, well, we don't need stomach. We don't need acid in our stomach when there's no food in there. We need to be able to digest the food. So what mm -hmm. kind of study, what, you know, like, okay, it's easier to isolate it when there's nothing else in the gut, but that's not all that functional, is it? I mean, it's like, it doesn't really make any sense. So is that intentional so that those studies can't prove anything useful? Or is it just a reductionist point of view that, um, doesn't, uh, you know, can't account for biology and the complexity of life. I don't know, but, um, so is the, uh, you know, the mineral deficiency like zinc and calcium, can you not really, uh, fix that on your own just by eating foods anymore? You have to, is it really kind of required that you do some sort of supplementation to really get you to the level that you need to be? Unfortunately, that's what I find. Um, you know, even people who eat just like good backyard produce and, you know, mm -hmm. either wild or free range meats. Um, I don't see, you know, it's easy with my testing to say like, I think you're deficient in zinc, try this protocol. So, um, uh, so yeah, that's, that's pretty consistently what I see. And, and once you've got weak stomach acid, I mean, we're supposed to get zinc with every meal and then we can't store it in the body. So once you've got that weak stomach acid, then yeah, even our ability to get the nutrients out of our food is diminished. And those studies in the Lancet show there's not as much mineral in those foods as there was before industrialization anyway. And of course there's other complicating factors about you know, like the more that we eat a plant-based diet, the less we can absorb uh, zinc in particular, the phytates, mm -hmm. uh, chemicals in plants that interfere with the absorption of zinc means that meat is the best place to, to get zinc right. and that plants really interfere with, with the absorption. So yeah, unfortunately I don't, I don't see, uh, I don't see just a good diet working our way out of this. So one thing I'm curious about is like, uh, you mentioned a couple of times is that the amount of zinc in your foods, you know, now in a post-industrialized world is much lower than it was pre-industrialization. Uh, I'm just sort of curious is like, 
how did how did we know today that the amount of zinc in the food pre-industrialization pre-industrialization was much higher and much greater degree than what it is now? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and um, of course, to know that with accuracy, I don't think I don't think we do, and I mm -hmm. think that the numbers probably get underestimated. I, I know that the significance of it gets underestimated, um, but the way some of the studies were done was, you know, with two greenhouses side by side and one with elevated CO2 and the other with normal levels and then analyzing the plants that came out. And often the ones grown with more CO2 were like bigger and bushier and looked good, but the actual mineral composite composition was lower. So, um, I, I think, they really just have to extrapolate from there about what was going on before industrialization and, and further back in history. Um, I don't think they really can know exactly. And that's why, you know, I'm saying, well, these studies support my idea, but do I, I, I don't get to know. I just get to see it with my patients. Like, yeah, when we supplement this way, we see phenomenal changes. Um, weak stomach acid is, absolutely the cause of heartburn, which sounds opposite, but plenty of people in alternative health know that if you supplement with HCL or other acidic things, you can control heartburn. Um, but it's a bigger, more common issue and, and sometimes harder to resolve than people realize. But um, nausea, you know, people who just can't eat. I mean, I've had people who've lost a frightening amount of weight over the course of a month because they couldn't eat. And then we start them on zinc and HCL and a day later they wake up and eat chicken apple sausage and can eat a fair amount and they feel good and they can digest. I mean, um, the elderly, you know, it's known, it's just kind of normal that as people get old, they lose their appetites and they get heartburn and because they lose their appetite, they don't eat so much. And so they lose all their muscle mass and that's sarcopenia. And that's, you know, the route to lost uh, quality of life. So, the you know it's fantastic the difference you can make when you boost someone's stomach acid you can take a person who's barely eating and pretty quickly restore a healthy appetite and zinc is zinc is really part of that if you can use the two together um i mean i've seen people you know i had a, a vietnam vet in practice a couple of years ago who um he had all these different health problems he was going to the va about they thought it was like from his old agent orange exposure and then by, you know, six or eight weeks later, he was feeling really good. And the VA was like, get out of here. You're fine. Your kidney tests are all good now. And then that summer he went home and hand dug a massive French drain in his backyard and put on a significant amount of muscle mass. And like, he'd never been able, I mean, he hadn't been able to do anything like that for a long time because of pain, because of limitations in his body. But then to actually be able to put on muscle mass was about the fact that he could absorb and um, strong stomach acid is the key. So when I was reading your um, your little biography um, on your profile here, um, there was a passage that was kind of like, you know, it was it was I won't say funny, but just kind of like uh, humorous in a way to me. It was kind of like. The unifying principle of my practice is simplification. Yeah. So, 
now, simplification, <laughs> that wasn't really a word that I was thinking of when I was looking over your, your whole work here. It is like simple does not seem to jump out at me as descriptive of what you do. Because <laughs> um, yeah. we, we, have, we have like low carb, paleo, ketogenic diets, principles of ancestral health support uh, for diet and exercise and supplements. It seems like kind of a lot to really take on here. Um, so just kind of make it more digestible, no pun intended. Right. Um, how how do you simplify things to people? So okay, let me start with this. Um, what, what what do you say are one? What's the most common problem that people come to you? I, mean, I know you're a chiropractor, so that's probably maybe that is the reason why people first come to your door. Um, but then when you're addressing all the other things with them, um, how do you really get them on this uh, on this program of yours to really kind of rein in their health holistically? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair, uh, yeah, that is a, I agree. It is kind of funny. Like, um, I mean, how do I describe my solution as simple when it's, mm -hmm. it's so challenging to put it all together? You know, yeah. I mean, if people come in to see me and they have like occasional aches and pains, no big deal. And they're not really motivated to, to do anything very significant. I'm like, you know, this probably isn't a good fit. You should probably go see a chiropractor who just does regular chiropractic adjustments and they can probably get you out of pain just fine. Um, the ideal people for my practice are people with significant chronic issues, chronic pain, um, migraines, allergies, even autoimmune conditions, which again, I don't really claim to treat, but, um, we just work on total health. And then the results are profound. Um, so, uh, how do you make it simple? I mean, unfortunately, um, it is a lot to put together. I mean, my book is designed so that an ambitious do it yourselfer could pick up my book and potentially walk themselves through it. But the number of places where you can miss the track by uh, you know, not, not getting the instantaneous feedback. I mean, if I can test somebody on the table and I can say, Oh, look, you've been getting corn. Uh, and they're like, no, no, I, I really don't think so. Uh, always we look, you know, down all the different avenues where it could be coming and coming from. And eventually we get it sorted out and they get it out and then they see their symptoms change or, um, you know, like, on the table, it's really easy to identify if the pancreas is stressed. Pancreas shows up as stressed within this protocol, either because a person is eating too many carbohydrates or they're getting too much high intensity or anaerobic exercise or just standing on their feet all day without getting gentle aerobic exercise like the walking that we did all since prehistoric times. So. Um, it's, it's easy to identify when that component comes up and people are like, Oh no, I think I'm really doing it right. And they're like, okay, well, what are you eating? And they're like, well, I do like my, you know, fill in the blank with whatever carbohydrates in a few different forms. And then we can say, uh, oh, no, that's probably too much. Or I say, what's your heart rate getting up to when you're on your walk and like, oh yeah, it does get pretty high when I'm climbing those hills. Okay. Well, that's taking you to anaerobic instead of aerobic. So that feedback is really important. So, um, 
how does that make the practice simpler? <laughs> how does it, how does it explain simplification? Um, the way that I think that things are simple is that most people are actually dealing with the same primary seven issues. And a lot of people don't want to hear that because they think that their issues are particularly unique or particularly complicated. And that's fair and that's true. Um, you know, we all have our own ways in which these underlying issues express themselves in different ways and create a whole variety of symptoms. And the process of walking people through putting those seven pieces of my protocol together, um, it's, uh, let's see, where am I going with that? Um, that process of walking people through the protocol uh, is unique to uh, every individual who comes in and everybody's got their own sticking points. You know, some, some people, when we're increasing HCL, HCL, there's an issue. Some people, when we're clearing dysbiosis, there's an issue. Um, the amount of protein that I think people should be eating on a daily basis is higher than what most people eat. Uh, if you don't strengthen stomach acid, you can't really eat enough protein. And, and so, um, it's my job ends up being repetitive in a lot of ways and that we're just applying the same main solutions. The tricky part is trying to figure out how to match each individual, um, you know, meet them where they're at so that they can focus on the pieces that they can do and not get distract distracted or discouraged by the pieces that they can't do. Um, so that they can put the whole, the whole thing together. You know, it's where I say, if you just hang in there for eight weeks, I guarantee you this stuff is going to get better because we don't miss. I mean, in the last seven or eight, seven or eight years, um, we just don't miss that people will, will hang in there and follow through. But you know, the number of people who are like, no, I don't think it's about my diet and I don't want to stop eating that or, Ooh, that supplement made me feel strange and I don't want to take it again. And it's like, well, you know, you got to have a little tenacity to, mm -hmm. to apply these pieces. And, and that's where, yeah, people who are motivated are the right people for my practice. And, right. and so that can be athletes. I mean, like I have helped athletes who were healthy and in good shape, but wanted to be stronger. And the, the kind of, the patterns of muscle weakness that we identify uh, absolutely affect strength and core strength. So like um, common, you know, I'm a chiropractor, right? So people come in with back pain and what I see as the primary cause of back pain is what most people call dysbiosis, but I call chronic intestinal infection, something living in the intestine that shouldn't be there which most, uh, just about everybody has at this point, because weak stomach acid is what allows pathogens to get past the stomach acid and into the, into the intestine. And then once they get there, they've got a good place to live with a constant food supply. And we don't have a very good internal mechanism of kicking them out. So, um, you know, people do all sorts of 
you know, natural forms of poison like wormwood, black walnut, cayenne, oregano, and stuff like that to try and kick those things out. Or they take probiotics all the time or eat fermented foods. And it's great when those things help. And when people come in and say, oh, no, these things really help me. I got to keep taking these. I say, great, then keep taking them for now. But two weeks into this protocol, you'll be able to stop those and you'll only feel better. And consistently, that's what we do. So, um, you know, again, great when those things help. But I think there is a, a deeper solution. If you have to keep putting probiotics in, it's because there's something living in the gut that keeps killing off what you keep putting in. But the solution is way simpler than people realize. Um, we use a three-week course. Well, I, I, well, I mean, I, I, uh, I throw it out there because I just know from my own experience, like, I think people kind of have a hidden conservatism where they sort of just like reject or fear anything that proposes anything that's too radical, sounds too radical, changes too much, too fast. And like you said, like you said, you know, you have these, um, you have these folks that come in that really don't want to completely upend their lives and their diet or, and they just kind of want the quick fix. And, and so it's kind of like, I guess it kind of leads me to another question. Like, is it really all or nothing or have, they, have you had uh, people that come in that kind of do part of it and still see great results or is it, do you, do you really have to be all in? Oh, that no, no, that's, that's a that's a stopwatch on my part. You know, at certain a certain time of day, it will quit here in a minute or so. Just don't, don't worry about. It. Yeah, I heard it. Yeah, it's it's me. <laughs> yeah. 
You're going to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So there's also something here I noticed here, and I, hi I highlight a lot of portions of your story here. Um, you said, I combine skeptic, mystic, science, and spirituality. Now, the science is apparent, okay? And the, uh, the skeptic, who you talked about that at the top of the hour here about when you were going through school and, you know, you were taught things that, you know, just intuitively did not make any sense to you. Um, but the, the spirituality and the mystic part of it, uh, explain that a little bit further.
Is it kind of similar to along the lines of the old saying that there's no atheists in the foxholes? Something like that. No. So where, so where are you going with your work now? So you've, you've put down a pretty firm, you know, foundation here about, you know, with your book, with your practice, and you've got, you know, a few years, quite a few years now, of people who can come back and say, yes, this worked very well for me. So what's the next step from here? still hearing me. I, 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 okay, I got you. cool. Um, so the, you know, the reality for me is that, um, I'm, I'm not as busy as I want to be in my practice. I mean, um, often somebody comes to me with lifelong issues and we work together for a few weeks and then we're pretty much done. And so I don't 
fill my practice with people who I'm seeing over and over again for forever. And I'm, you know, like I'm a chiropractor, but I'm mostly looking at the underlying reason that people need chiropractic adjustments in the first place, more than just doing adjustments over and over and over. So, um, it's a weird niche to be in also in kind of uh, not as busy as I want to be. So that's part of why I published the book, but part of why I published the book is that the, the consistency with which these things work is so mind blowing that when I've, I felt like I was sitting on a solution that everybody should know about because it's profoundly effective, you know, like if, if people knew how simple the gut microbiome issue is to resolve and how many issues it relates to and really took that in, like, you know, I'd have a hundred year waiting list or whatever is to first fill my practice and make sure I've got the foundation, uh, to do the other things that I want to do. But like, you know, like, uh, I, I ran a study out of my office some years ago to, to try to prove some points. And I, I mean, we got a phenomenal result and I'm not a researcher and I, you know, didn't, didn't have an ethics review board, uh, determine if it was ethical to ask people to take dairy out of their diet. And so I couldn't get the damn thing published. You know, I published it in the back of my book. Um, so, um, the, the kind of studies that we could run with this, I mean, even just, um, observational studies, you know, I mean, if I, I, I think I'm going to run a, a study before too long about migraines out of my office, because, you know, if I could get 10 people come in, who've got frequent migraines and as long as they're motivated and follow the protocol, then eight weeks later, they'll know that they don't have to have migraines. Uh, and you know, who makes that claim? Like nobody like migraines are, well, some people get relief sometimes, but, um, you know, I'm, again, just kind of my skeptical nature means that to some degree testimonials kind of drive me crazy <laughs> because, you know, I've heard testimonials for everything and sometimes they're for things that are kind of ridiculous. Um, and the reality is, you know, like I point out in the beginning of my book that like sometimes people get kicked by a horse and it cures lifelong back pain, <laughs> you know, like, okay, great. So, you know, Sure. Everything has the, op the, the, the possibility of creating a miracle and miracles are awesome. And, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're very subjective one. and very personal. But that's for sure. What really matters is how consistently can something work? You know, like, uh, if somebody comes to me with low back pain and, and I can, and it's chronic mm -hmm. low back pain that they've had for, you know, a year or 10 or 20, um, to be able to guarantee that we can at least make it way better. And we often make it go away completely and we never miss. It sounds absurd, you know, like that's not, that's not the results that people are getting. But again, if we could just run a, a few observational studies that showed, um, that consistently we were doing that, like, would that get more people to pay attention? I hope so. Um, so, you know, like you're the second podcast that I've, that I've, uh, come on and, um, you know, just trying to 
put this idea in front of as many people as possible uh, is where I'm headed right now. I mean, I wish you were all neighbors so that it was easy for you to walk in my front door and, and eight weeks from now, we'd be saying, man, all those symptoms are gone. That's super cool. Um, but in the meantime, you know, there's my book, which can help people to work on their own. Uh, I do, uh, I, I can work with people remotely. Uh, and yeah, there's limitations of that, but we're able to do, uh, do a lot that way. And then particularly if, if we get stuck at some point, if somebody can make a trip to see us, then, uh, we can usually sort out anything that we didn't get previously. Um, and I'm in Northern California. So, you know, like I have people come to me from San Francisco Bay area and Sacramento and Reno. Um, so, um, but, but yeah, the, the long-term picture, I mean, if, if I can really make this fly and get enough people to realize the value of it and be excited about it, then yeah, like teaching classes or teaching classes through the International College of Applied Kinesiology, but you know, will they be willing to try something different? I don't know. Um, but you know, if we could, we absolutely have the potential to totally transform healthcare for those who are motivated enough to actually do something about their health. Um, since most of the time, you know, the, the advice that we get about diet and stuff often doesn't really make much difference. And, you know, people are told to exercise and eat a good diet, but nobody has any idea what a good diet is anymore. You know, it's like, well, some people do really well on carnivore and some people do really well vegan. And, um, you know, I think it makes sense to eat what we ate before we invented agriculture. But if you have weak stomach acid, then red meat in particular becomes pretty difficult to digest. But, if you address those things with a few simple supplements, then people can eat what we were designed to eat and feel good and eat protein frequently, you know, instead of intermittent fasting, eat protein frequently to keep the blood sugar really stable. So. So we have a closing tradition on the podcast where I give the guests the final word. So if you could maybe, you know, summarize at least most of everything you said and leave people with maybe one thing to remember. It just and, seems and like if they could, and if they could remember nothing, are if you want them to so remember this, what would it be? Conditioned to believe that there's nothing to be done about our aches and pains and that um they've tried everything and that there there's no solution is going to work and um so i'm always you know touched and inspired by people who have been to you know maybe dozens of other practitioners before they came to see me and they're still willing to try and so um you know there's a lot there's a lot weighing on all of us these days. And so, um, the willingness to continue to try is, um, I find that really inspiring. So, uh, I guess 
I'm here to say, if you need a solution, I got one. And um, hopefully before long, we'll train up thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of other people who can deliver the solution as well, because it works. And so don't give up. And there's lots of routes to healing too. So, you know, maybe you just tell your needs that you love them and maybe you'll get there that way. There you go. Dr. Archer, thank you for your time. Thank you, Sean. Nice to be here. Good, good. Yeah, all right. So, uh, Dr. Matt Archer, he is a chiropractic doctor based out of California, the author of The Protocol for Health, Seven Unexpected Solutions. And I'll, of course, put uh, contact his website and uh, social media contacts I'll put on the show notes, as always. And, um, yeah, and if you're, especially if you're in the Northern California area, if you're listening to this, go seek him out. And, uh, especially I'll put the book on, uh, the show notes as well, the connection to Amazon. You can buy it from there, or you can actually even buy it directly off your website. Can't yeah. You? yeah. Okay. So that'll be all available for you. But, um, Again, Dr. Archer, thank you for your time. It's been a very intriguing conversation. Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate you. All right, everybody. Until next time, move forever. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments. Cancel anytime. Every little bit helps, and I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace. Peace.